Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's episode, I just want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure of serving. We are an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. Well, today it's been an episode long time coming that I'm very, very excited about. I'm so happy to welcome my dad, Paul Webb, to the show. Thank you for coming, Dad. Thanks, Joel, and it's really great to be here, and let's jump right into it. <laughs> we'll jump right into it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I would just love for you just to start by telling us your background, uh, where you're from, and what you felt your call into the pastoral ministry was. Well, uh, we're from Canada originally. I was born and raised there, lived there um, most of my life until, of course, we were in, in Cameroon as missionaries for several years. Um, I think my spiritual walk really sort of began with a seed in, in, in grade school, had a Christian high school or a Christian principal who took us to a Billy Graham film. And for the first time I heard about salvation, didn't make a decision for the Lord, but a couple years later through witnessing or being witnessed to in high school, um, some friends, uh, talked to me about the Lord and, even though my family had, didn't attend church and I had no real uh, Christian background per se, um, I began to go to youth group, I committed my life to the Lord, and, and that's sort of how it began for me. So, so from that point then, from coming to the Lord, going to church, starting that, what did that development then start looking like? Mm, I wonder if I'm called the pastoral ministry. Well, I think what happened was, I think almost immediately I kind of had a sense of, of a call and and that God was was opening doors. In that day, this is going back to the late 70s, <laughs> they were still reading the Bible and praying in mm. public schools. And so I'm in grade 10, I come to the Lord. By grade 11, um, the, the principal, vice principal, had some of us come in, take turns, and read any portion of scripture we wanted to, limited number of verses, and pray the Lord's Prayer. We couldn't give any commentary. So by the time I graduated high school, fellow students just called me Preacher Paul. And I think people in the church knew there was, I guess, leadership development there. There was a sense of God's calling in my life. And, and so that really went from there to heading right off to Bible college after high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was an interesting experience because all of my classmates had a lifetime of of. Sunday school and youth group and church, I had very little of that, uh, really only about two and a half years of three years of exposure to the scripture and church and things. So I had a lot of catching up to do in, in Bible college, but I graduated. And uh, from there, I, I did feel called to vocational ministry, became a youth pastor mm-hmm. uh, in our local church. And then after a couple of years, um, I assumed the role of the Lead pastor, senior pastor, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. And what was type. the what was the school you went to? Uh, Brockville Bible College, a small little school that's no longer open in uh, in Brockville, Ontario. And then a number of years later, I did go to uh, uh, Tyndale Seminary in Toronto to do my master's degree um, as well. Okay. 
And uh, so through through this whole time, this was at the church also that for context that I ended up growing up in yes. for the first 19 years of my life. Um, you know, so that's where I, I called uh, I called home as well. So uh, back in the day, 70s, 80s, what uh, what tradition was was the Wooler Church? In that the point? Wooler Church was actually um, called Wooler Holiness Church. And it was very much a, a holiness church in many ways. In the 70s, the charismatic movement hit. And so the church we were part of, the Independent Holiness Church, uh, definitely had an openness to the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. R.C. Horner, who was the founder of the original denomination, very open. He's actually named as one of the founders of the Assemblies of God in Canada, or Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And so... It wasn't something that was uh, didn't blend well with that experience, even though I think we were kind of viewed as as kind of being a uh, little on the edge as charismatics or Pentecostal. And eventually we ended up joining a small group of churches that were more of that persuasion mm-hmm. then. So I was there for a number of years and uh, uh, was in that transition and, and pastored mm-hmm. during that time. So uh, go ahead and just kind of paint us a picture then of the of your journey then from basically the 80s when you started pastoral ministry, then leading up to where you are today, a um, couple hundred miles away uh, after living overseas and yeah. uh, some further schooling that you have yet to finish up. So can you give us a little timeline? Wow. Um, kind of to piece that all together. Uh, so yeah, so I went to Brockville Bible College and then after... Um, almost 20 years of ministry. I did a mod or a, uh, a cohort of, uh, at Tyndale Seminary uh, and did the schooling there. So during that time as well, uh, for almost 20 years, I taught at a very small Bible college in, in, in New York State that I would go down every semester and teach um, as well. And I really enjoyed that context. Mm-hmm. And that's what actually eventually led to us going to Africa. We had, I had traveled to a few countries, Central America and other places, and taught, guest taught, uh, Africa to Ghana at one point. And so we ended up actually through a really a miraculous set of circumstances that we ended up swapping our lives with another, with a missionary couple that had been in Cameroon for 14 years. And they came back to Canada and took over the church. And we went there uh, for various reasons. They had to come back. We went there for a temporary posting. Um, but in the end, it turned into six and a half years uh, of living there. The only thing really that ended that was the fact that we uh, ended up caught in a war zone. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, um, I think the hard knocks of life were more lessons maybe than some of the schooling. I Mm -hmm. think the schooling was, you know, theological, yes, but there were a lot of practical things that, you know, are sometimes uh, not necessarily part of the Mm -hmm. curriculum for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. So even uh, in those years leading up then to your time departing for Africa, what would you say maybe was like one of the high points and one of the low points of your of your time pastoring at that church? Because you were there for 35 30 years. No, 30, 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. Uh, so what was that? some of that? I think some of the high points, I mean, we kind of navigated some various extremes of things, and that was challenging. Um, I think when we finally kind of joined a different organization we felt like this is where we should be and that was part of where we're at unfortunately as time went on we began to realize that it wasn't maybe a good choice and um 
there were certain aspects of that experience that were not the best. So that kind of had an effect on ministry. Um, there was a certain type of mentality that came along with, with being part of that, that really kind of, I feel like I lost my pastor's heart during some of that because of some of the tensions within the church. And I think now, I think I would have always said to be a minister, you need to know God and, and um, know your calling. But I also think a third thing we need is we need to know ourselves. Mm. And I think a lot of times we don't really know ourselves. And because of that, we don't, it's hard to distinguish God's voice from our own experiences or our own voice. And it's so important, mm. um, you know, that we care for our own soul and that we can hear and have community with mm. people that help us to really, really hear God's voice and not be... Uh, uh, molded necessarily by circumstances around mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I certainly can attest, you know, the Bible school, you were my first uh, Bible school teacher uh, during my first year of Bible school. In Africa. Uh, in Africa, but yes. then also in the States as well. Right. Um, at, at that same Bible school, um, in an earlier episode, uh, we had, uh, when Christmas Shagna was on, he attended that school and yep. was there many there. decades yep. before yep. that. Um, and, many you know, decades, many, many decades. Cause you know, anyways, <laughs> I don't want to go too far with that, but, um, you know, certainly there, there's something to be said about, you know, knowing yourself and in, in that background where I spent my whole life, there's not that, that idea of introspection to know yourself is really frowned upon. Right. Um, it's kind of chagrined as yeah, well, soul care, really yeah. understanding, um, our soul, mm-hmm. you know, which is very important. Um, you know, it's if you just emphasize, you know, hearing God, which is a, obviously you need to hear God. But I think the, the, the crisis is that if we can't distinguish in our, our own attitudes become God's voice, mm-hmm. and that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, yeah. we can end up then with that. We can end up really, um, our leadership can be abusive. It can be uh, manipulative. It can be all mm-hmm. those things. And that's yeah. a real danger for mm-hmm. anyone. Yeah. And if we don't understand to, to hear the shepherd's voice, then our own voice becomes the shepherd's voice in our own mind. Yeah. And, and, yeah. That can, and our own hurts, yeah. our own, mm-hmm. our own, whatever that we're dealing with yeah. can become that. And I think that's, that's a, I guess a down point. I think the up point was when I pastored there in that area, of course, that's my home area. I had the opportunity you know, here in the United States, about 25% of the population view themselves as evangelicals. In Canada, it's probably around 6%. Mm-hmm. And uh, church attendance is down, was down before COVID. I don't know where it's at now. But I had many opportunities to, whether it was chaplaincy, which I was involved with in the hospital, or through other areas of ministry, a lot of funerals, as you mm-hmm. know, Joel. Yeah. Um, I, I really became the funeral guy for one of our local funeral homes and a lot of family members. I got to lead a lot of people to the Lord in the hospital funeral home. Unfortunately, they either, you know, they died after they came <laughs> to the Lord. <laughs> but I mean, there were many people mm-hmm. over that time that I look back down and, and I think that was an important part of being in my home community was family members and friends and contact through mm-hmm. that that came to the Lord. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you mentioned that about the funeral home. You were bivocational for, for a number of years. Can you just touch on some of the dynamics then with bivocational ministry that, that you experienced? Yeah, well, that was a really interesting thing. What actually happened, it came related to missions again. Um, we were financially, there was some real issues. So the church was having to cut back their finances. I went to the board and I said to them, you know, the missionaries can't go get a job where they are. And so I need to you know, set aside my salary, I can go find a job. Uh, if I have to, to be able to, to, you know, take care of our fam- my family, but we don't really want to cut back on the missions part. So I did that. And I think it was a great thing. Mm-hmm. After theological training, a number of years of ministry, I, I went into this job at I, actually came about very quickly working at a funeral home working with aftercare working in some more practical things there as well and it was like my eyes were open it's like oh now i'm actually rubbing shoulders with real people and Mm -hmm. i'm not in this little theological ivory tower even though there i when i walk in the door they would say to me so are you pastor paul today or are you just paul today (laughs) meaning which role am i in you know in in the job so I, i i really actually think that was a great experience even now i'm working in a setting where it's you know not necessarily ministry directly related and it's been good it's been a good thing and i think Mm -hmm. sometimes in ministry we can end up end up in an ivory tower Mm -hmm. of theological reflection answering questions people are not asking Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so that's a real danger yeah so, uh, you know, up to this point, we've talked about then you going to Africa. Uh, touch a little bit about the experiences in, in Cameroon, uh, the dynamics. Um, you know, you'd already been teaching Bible school, but now you're teaching Bible school to cross-culturally. people cross-culturally and with the translator, translating into French as well. Right, right. Uh, so, yeah, share some of the dynamics of that cross-cultural ministry aspect. Yeah. Well, it was a great experience. I I loved it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. The school primarily taught in English and then was translated into French. Cameroon is linguistically rich, probably 250 to 300 languages. So the official languages are French and English. So that's what our school did. Um, uh, In the high 170 to almost 200 students most years, Eventually, other than for a couple of years, we ended up being the only non-Cameroonian staff members. And I I just really enjoyed the experience. And it is a different culture, for sure. Uh, teaching cross-culturally, I did a lot of reading on that and, and uh, really worked at trying to understand how to convey truths of the scripture cross-culturally. And in some ways, I felt like it was almost like connecting with with the early church in the fact of the way the culture was. Mm-hmm. It was very different than what I was used to in North uh, North America. So it was a, a great experience that way, some great relationships. Um, it was good. It was great. You know, both of you boys, uh, Joel and, and, of course, your brother Jared, lived with us there in Africa. And I think that was a good experience mm-hmm. for you guys, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. You know, it really kind of opened up. Um, opportunities with that and I had opportunities there that I really rejoice and I'm very thankful for. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, and of course, on the on the culture side, you know, being much more agrarian, you know, you're teaching through the book of Leviticus. And if you're in a North American class, you know, unless there's a hunter in the class, how yeah. many of you have killed an animal right. in the last year, let alone the last week? Where in Africa, you ask that question and everybody's, Everybody hand, puts everybody's their hand, go, up. hand goes up because they've killed and plucked a chicken that probably that very day. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of the, the again, the cultural understanding yeah. for sure. You know, seeing it in that way was, was yeah. a, an interesting experience. Yeah. So, and getting paid, you know, with a go or paid with chickens or paid mm-hmm. with eggs for preaching you know that was hearkening oh, yeah. back to the to the old days yeah. here because i know at wooler church you know 100 and whatever years ago we have the book there where it talked about you know the pastor got paid this week with this mm-hmm. and that and some bales of hay for his circuit riding horse and yeah so yeah, yeah. not too far removed from the doctor from little house in the prairie so, exactly yeah yeah so uh, during that time in cameroon then uh through a conference trip then when we were in dubai together you got connected up uh tell us a little bit about the doctoral studies that you're con- you're still kind of in the midst of right um, and, and almost done on. but it's been on hold for a couple of years now um, at Alliance Theological Seminary in Manhattan, and it's a um, uh, doctorate across cultural ministry, so in leadership. So it was an amazing experience. I think some of what I just said to you earlier, the first class we took was on soul care. So mm-hmm. that was really revolutionary. And they said to me, point blank, you know, uh, you don't know yourself. Mm-hmm. And and that, that was, uh, again, eye-opening and and disturbing yet encouraging that we were able to I was able to begin to see things that I hadn't seen and mm-hmm. grow in that um, so we've continued those studies um, and uh, like I said it's kind of been on hold I'm only one course in a dissertation away from the end and just reconsidering sort of realigning ourselves on what the next step mm-hmm. is to get that I don't we've not given up on it um, and so we'll have to see where that goes. But mm-hmm. uh, not sure at this point. Things have been on hold for a little bit, but looking forward yeah. to some things changing and some opportunities coming. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, with that, uh, the start of those studies, I, I know, kind of opened, in a sense, opened Pandora's box with a number number of various things. Um, you know, we t- already talked about, you know, individual self-awareness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and seeing and not knowing yourself. Yes. Um, you know, so what what did some of that then lend itself towards? Because obviously, you know, uh, we're now you're actually now in a church in a tradition that is much more close to where you started. Yeah, um, yeah you know, for now sure. Finding yourself in the Wesleyan Church, um, myself going back to your roots now, myself being in the Free Methodist Church. Right. Um, you know what what's kind of that journey been? Uh, it's been a very eye opening time for both your, as you know, your mother and I. Um, just coming to the realization of really understanding the grace of God, you know, and in that understanding that grace toward people as well. And I, your mother and I describe ourselves as recovering Pharisees. And I mm-hmm. think that was something that was fed very much in part of the context we're in. And so that's that's been an aspect of it. You know, Peter talks about the true grace of God. Well, the Bible does talk about abusive, abusing grace, mm-hmm. but it also talks about voiding grace, mm-hmm. you know, making it powerless. Uh, um, that's in Galatians 2.21. But um, we can do both of those things. So there's a balance in that, mm-hmm. you know, understanding that we're all sinners. We need the Lord. We need God's grace in our lives, a recognition of our need. And 
I think a number of years ago, uh, a very good pa- my my pastor at the time and and uh, uh, friend preached a sermon once years ago and asked at a conference, "Are we?" modern day Pharisees. And then he went down through and described them and they were passionate for God's truth. They were passionate for righteousness. They were passionate. But what it ended up becoming was the Pharisees we describe and avoid, but really we need to look in the mirror because we can all tend towards that. So for us, it's been a lot, I say us meaning your mom and I, but also for you and your brother, we as a family, it's been just that realization of who we are in Christ, of his work and his power. I've experienced more of the power of God in my life over the last two years than I've ever experienced or seen before. Mm. And um, it's an amazing journey, and we're just so thankful. Mm. We're just so thankful. Mm. Yeah. So for, you know, for those, you know, who are in whatever context that you've, they've always been in, um, you know, for, you know, for myself, you know, growing up in just only one church context, you know, only having been taught kind of one train of thought. Right. And there's going to be everybody out there, you know, at some point, um, there's everybody who's grown up just, to, you know, in one church. Uh, so just in your time, even over the last couple of years, you know, you, you use that word recovering Pharisee. What are, what are some thoughts that, you know, if you could plant a seed in somebody's head and say, you know, here, here's one thing I want you to chew on, you know, to ask yourself if, are you a Pharisee or not? What, like what, what would one or some of those things potentially be? I think we need to look at our attitude towards um, others. I mean, first of all, our attitude towards God. But what is our, our, you know, the minute you start thinking, you know, almost like that prayer, you know, I'm not like other men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a very real thing. And I said to you earlier that I felt like there was a period of time where I, some of my pastor's heart was kind of drained away. And, and I don't shift the responsibility of any of this to others. I, I bear responsibility in it. But I know when I was first in ministry, I was very active with our local ministerial. And I served as president of that ministerial, very active with other pastors in prayer. And then when we went to the mission field, and that kind of waned and got sort of pushed aside, went to the mission field and were cooperating with, again, all of these various brothers and sisters mm-hmm. of various organizations. There was still some of that in us of, well, we're not like them, we're not like them, we're not like them. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not suggesting we don't have differences or disagreements or concerns even in some cases, but but again, there's, there can be a root attitude that's not good. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to break past that and be very careful mm-hmm. um, that we're not only um, in our desire to be pure, that we're excluding things from our lives that could really benefit us, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, when we segregate ourselves from the rest of the body, we cut ourselves off from the rest of the church. Yeah, exactly. Even though we think we're doing it because we're the body. Right. Uh, you know, and, and I know, you know, we're, uh, you know, now connected part of the pastor's prayer. Yes. Group here in here Port Huron, Port and I know that was a huge part for our own transitions to yep. where we are now, you know, having, having that common fellowship with believers who we disagree and agree on various yep. topics that are secondary that, you know, really, really don't matter. Yes. Um, you know, and you know, that's, that's the one thing that stuck out in my mind. Um, you know, questions to ask yourself, you know, are we making secondary or tertiary issues almost to the level of issues of salvation? Right. And that's, you know, things, and I think with that, there comes an attitude you can't question 
or or you know think about can we think about this is this right or good or bad when it's sort of all laid down as this is the way yep. it is this is what you have to do this is the only way to do it that's a real danger mm-hmm. so yep. um yeah that's something i would i would guard against i think there's always those extremes um you know, like I think, and and this may be a, a hot issue for some of your listeners, but I think, you know, you, you have, you know, in, in the context of the tradition we're used to, you know, we would preach against eternal security. Mm-hmm. Well, I began to realize, not necessarily in my life, but I began to realize that even as I talked to individuals and talked to pastors, that the the curriculum really of what they're doing is teaching eternal insecurity. Mm-hmm. And they're living in this insecure thing. And I've talked to so many people. And I think for a lot of people, there came a revelation of, you know, oh, in Christ, you know, he's, he's redeemed us, you know, he's qualified us, he's made a way into the, into the Holy of Holies, when the veil in the temple is rent in twain, uh, as one person said to us, for me, it was uh, in Colossians 1.12, he's qualified us. Just recognizing some of those truths are so important that um, I think that would be even sort of the discussion about hidden curriculum in a school context, but in the church context, what is the results of the things we believe and teach? What does it look like in people's lives? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in a couple minutes, we're going to be talking about books because you have a nice little stack here. Um, you know, but one of the, one of the key takeaways, you know, from a number, cause I've read a number of the books that you're going to mention in a couple minutes, you know, if you've ever heard the phrase, that person got bitter and left, right. You probably need a question. Where am I? Right. Would, would you yes, say I would that's agree. a fair assumption? Because, you know, even in some of the books we're going to mention, there's always those standard things um, that people respond. You know, if you leave something, it's like, you know, they have to tag you or label mm-hmm. you to, to make excuses in their mind. So they tag you with, let's say they're bitter. That's a favorite one. Uh, they're rebellious. That's another one. Um, some of these things are not even true or they may, there may be an element of truth in it. And yet it's, it's a means to avoid facing the real questions mm-hmm. of what's gone on or what's going on or what the attitudes are. Um, we end up in one of the books, I believe it was talked about, you know, the, uh, um, uh, the whole thing of Christian um, uh, Miranda writes, you know, you know, somebody does something. So your mind is just running over time going, you know, well, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. They didn't do this. They did. They, and then you don't face the real question of what the issue is there mm-hmm. when you do those kinds of things. So and flip the script. I mean, it, when we began to read some of these books, Joel, as you know, it was like, it was like, it was like a description of things we had been through and had done to others ourselves. Yeah, yep. and that's the crazy yeah. thing. And and you know that's the you know the biggest thing is that you know when you when you've come through these things and I don't know you know whoever's listening to this right now where you're at where you're at right now or where you've come from, um, you know. But we always also have to you know we can talk about other people, but you know I know I've been guilty of that yeah. too. You know I have been a Pharisee, and by the grace of God, you know I'm being changed. Yes. Uh, but so there is a Spurgeon quote I love, and yes. I've heard it every single time. But he talks about living in the Bible, but reading many good books. Yeah. So what have been some of these good books? Okay. Well, appreciate. And Joel, we want to just I want to say, and your mom mentioned this to me. You know, we're just 
really excited about listening to your uh, your podcast and and uh, the guests you're having on is fascinating. I want to very quickly mention a, a couple of books or a few books. First of all, be, not even on that theme, but this one, Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders, is a classic. I used it in for 20 years when I taught Bible school in a course on essentials for ministry. Excellent book, and I just appreciate, I can't even get into all the various things it deals with, but it's really good. The second category of books, though, is all related to um, spiritual abuse, mm-hmm. and uh, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse uh, is an excellent one. A, a classic one is called Toxic Faith, um, phenomenal book, and uh, I borrowed from you the book The Church of Tove. Church right? called Tove, yep. Yes, and really it talks about how to build... And, and all of these have that theme um, somewhat, how to do it right without being abusive. And then the latest one I got was called Bully Pulpit and uh, really just challenging for pastors. So I think anyone called to a vocational ministry, called in any area of ministry in the church, it would be really good to to just take a good hard look at that subject as part of their preparation so that they're really being careful about not being abusive and not being manipulative and controlling because you can do all that Mm -hmm. you know in ministry you're thus saith the lord you're bringing the word Mm -hmm. you're being led by the holy spirit and people you know want to want to to hear from god but then they end up maybe saying well then the pastor will hear and we'll just do what he says Mm -hmm. and that's not a good thing Mm -hmm. yeah and so just you know striking in balance you know having an understanding uh you know one of the biggest takeaways from even uh pastoral classes you know i'm just wrapping up in right. my own seminary journey is you know the the calling of a shepherd of a, of a pastor is yes. not to command people's lives exactly um you know if if you're going to your pastor on to whether about whether or not you should buy a car and whether he says yes or no he or she right. says yes or no that 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 deter- that makes the answer yeah um you know we know from a number of friends of ours now, they say, you know, I don't want that much involvement in your life. Right. <laughs> you know, if you want right. my opinion, I'll give it to you. Right. But what I'm telling you is not a word from God. You right. Know? right. Um, and so, you know, we want to want to strike in, in balance with that um, because pastors are pastors, are leaders in churches. But yeah. at the end of the day, we're still sinners saved by grace who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and I think ultimately in all of that too, when we are in th- those roles, we need to be very careful because we we might you know have a little bit of narcissism or a lot of it in us and we like that you mm-hmm. know and and it becomes years ago i remember a pastor said to me a christian leader said when he was talking about some pastor of a little small church being paid very little he said you know it's, how, it's amazing how little people will settle for just to be able to be in control of a small group of people mm-hmm. and you know that that's not pastoring and um I've had to really go back and go back to what I originally, you know, God's call in my life and God's work in my life and God's grace. When you really walk in that, you begin to have that grace for others as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's been part of that journey for your mom and I and to a measure for you guys, for you, Joel, and for your brother as well, as we've kind of come through this time in our lives. Yeah. Amen. Well, it's just so exciting to to hear kind of the recap of all of that and, you know, just to see where, you know, God's going to lead you because he doesn't take people through situations and circumstances unless he's going to use it. So, amen. Uh, so thankful. Well, thank you, dad so much for, love for coming you, buddy. in and uh, joining me on the show today. Okay. Well, love you. Love you, Webby.
And I want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. And of course, I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. Please subscribe. Please leave a review. It'll help others find our show. And uh, also, you can please share it with your friends and family. Share it with your pastor. And we'll see you in the next episode of The Pastor's Call. God bless.